This is SCOTUS Talk, a nonpartisan podcast about the Supreme Court for lawyers and non-lawyers alike. Brought to you by SCOTUS Blog. Are you prepared to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Katanji Brown Jackson, do solemnly swear. I, Katanji Brown Jackson, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Of all of the members of the court, I am pleased to welcome Justice Jackson to the court and to our common calling. Welcome to SCOTUS Talk. I'm Amy Howe. Thanks for joining us. The Supreme Court has another big term ahead of it and a new justice, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who was sworn in, as we just heard, on June 30th. We'll talk about the cases before the court this term in more detail in future episodes, but we wanted to focus today on what it's like to be a new justice. And joining us to do that is Marin Levy. She's a professor at Duke Law School where she teaches and writes on the federal courts. And she also runs a popular Twitter account where she chronicles the history of the federal judiciary, including the Supreme Court, in entertaining and informative threads. You can find her on Twitter, and you should, at Marin K. Levy, M-A-R-I-N-K-L-E-V-Y. Marin, thanks for joining us. Oh, Amy, this is such a treat. Thank you so much for having me. So Justice Byron White used to say that when you get a new justice, you get a new court. But it seems like there's a corollary to that, which is that when you become a new justice, even if you've been a judge before, um, it's a very different job and the learning curve can be pretty steep. Yes. So that's absolutely right. And we even have great quotes from the justices on this. So Justice Breyer said back in an interview several years ago, I was frightened to death for the first three years, right, after joining the court in 1994. So there's definitely a steep learning curve and several of them have even admitted as much. Yeah, I mean, that's actually just as somebody who watched Justice Breyer for many years, he'd been a Harvard law professor, he'd been for many years on the Court of Appeals, and for him to say that was was really an eye-opener for me. Absolutely right. He'd even been chief of the First Circuit, right? And even for him, it felt like a a little bit of a mountain to climb. So we're going to start at the beginning, so to speak, of a career on the Supreme Court with some audio. And now I'd like to invite Mrs. Sotomayor, the judge's mother, and her brother, Dr. Sotomayor, to come forward. Judge Sotomayor, are you prepared to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Sonia Sotomayor, do solemnly swear. I, Sonia Sotomayor, do solemnly swear that I will administer justice with out respect to persons. That I will administer justice. And this is Justice Sonia Sotomayor, as you can tell, being sworn in by Chief Justice John Roberts. And we have this audio because she was the first justice for which the swearing-in ceremony was televised. So that's right. So good just to remind folks, right, when we talk about swearing-in, the idea is the justices actually have to take two separate oaths before they're allowed to, as we say, execute the duties of their office, right? So we've got the constitutional oath, and we've got the judicial oath. And so, as you said, with Justice Sotomayor, we get this great first. So she takes these oaths. This is held at the court and it's all broadcast live on TV. And the nice thing is we get a little bit of a 
kind of follow up this time around with Justice Jackson. Obviously, she's sworn in this past summer on June 30th in a really touching ceremony. So the chief administers the constitutional oath. And then Justice Jackson's own justice, the justice she clerked for, Justice Breyer, administers the judicial oath. Um, but then here's the really sweet part. This is another first for us. So that oath ceremony was actually live streamed from the court's West Conference room on the Supreme Court's website. So that hadn't happened before. Gee, it, it, it seems like they can live stream video from the Supreme <laughs> Court when they feel like it. <laughs> I know, right? I, I was thinking that, right? They, they have that ability. They, they can do that. Yeah, that was also a really interesting day because the, the switchover, so to speak, from yeah. Breyer to Jackson you know, was so tangible. They issued opinions in the morning or maybe they issued orders in the morning and then voila, now it's Justice Jackson. Absolutely. And there'd been a little bit of a question about this, right? So when exactly would Justice Breyer um, become a retired justice and when would Justice Jackson actually officially resume her role? But uh, as we know, that happened basically at noon that day, that switchover. So if we're going to go back several decades now uh, and talk about Earl Warren because you know what one recent nomination and confirmation process is the, the process that gave us Justice Amy Coney Barrett back in 2020. Justice Ginsburg died in September 20th, 2020. Justice then Judge Barrett was nominated six days later. They held hearings in October and she was confirmed by the end of October. But Earl Warren was, was even faster. I love the story. This is such a great story that we get about the chief. Um, and I think not a lot of people really know it. And it's, it's got a cute little backstory here. So the background on this is that President Eisenhower had promised Earl Warren, who is then, of course, governor of California, a formidable political figure at the time, that he would get the next open seat on the Supreme Court. And the thought was, in the meantime, Earl Warren, why don't you just become solicitor general? Warren says, great, it's not too shabby. So that was the arrangement. As they're getting ready to announce that Warren will be the next SG, Chief Justice Vinson unexpectedly dies of a heart attack, and this ends up creating a little bit of an awkward situation because Eisenhower basically blinks, and he's thinking maybe he should put somebody else, not Warren, into that role. He ultimately decides, yep, it will be Warren, and that's all ironed out, but then we get another wrinkle. So this was all happening in September of 1953, and of course, the next term of court is just weeks away. So part of the deal was that Warren had to agree that he was going to fly out from California to D.C. and start the job almost immediately. So things move very quickly at this point. Eisenhower nominates Warren as chief justice under a recess appointment on September 30th with the expectation that he's actually going to start at the court on October 5th. Ooh. Yeah, it's just just unbelievable. And we get all these great news stories and we see these photographs of Earl Warren like suitcases in hand boarding a plane in California. And so then the question is like, what did he pack in the short time? Well, he did not pack judicial robes because of course he didn't have any, right? Unlike all the justices today, he was not coming out of a judgeship, but he does pack some academic robes, which he happened to have lying around, amazingly. Those were deemed to be not up to snuff. So he has to borrow robes on his first day of court and they end up being too long. The results being that he trips. He's literally stumbling as he's getting onto the bench, which is really saying something about these robes because Earl Warren was not exactly petite. He was 6'1", so you can just imagine the scene. Who did he borrow them from, Wilt Chamberlain? <laughs> right, seriously, like, where did these robes come from? 
But the thing I love the most about the story is that Earl Warren himself loved to tell it and then would get off this great line. He said, I suppose it could be said that I literally stumbled onto the bench. Oh, that's great. I love it. So another thing that hopefully we can look forward to is the, the Justice's class picture. Yeah. Do we get a new class picture? Oh, we absolutely will. So right. It's a little bit of fun background here, as we all know. The justices take, as we call it, the class photo or a group portrait. This goes all the way back to 1867. And then after that time, the justices would kind of sporadically gather to take a picture. And then it was agreed they should do this right after a new justice comes on board. So the last time we got a class photo was actually in April of 2021. Uh, this was to include Justice Barrett, but the court waited just a little bit because of COVID. But I think we can definitely expect pretty soon to see a new picture coming out of the court's East conference room with those red velvet drapes in the background. And Justice Jackson, as you said, she's already a judge. So presumably she has robes that are, are not going to be too long. Yes. For her. She will not be Hopefully stumbling. No stumbling. <laughs> stumbling. So you mentioned that the Chief Justice Warren started really soon before the court began its term that year. There's a great story in first by Evan Thomas about Justice O'Connor's preparation for her first long conference, the conference at the end of the summer before they start their term officially on the first Monday of October. And it wasn't a, an accelerated confirmation process necessarily, but she didn't get sworn in until September 25th. Yep. Her first day of work officially was the day before the long conference. And so you can read in this part of First by Evan Thomas, she gets to her chambers and apparently there's thousands of petitions that she has to review and she has to figure out whether or not her husband, who is a partner in a law firm, has a conflict with any of these petitions. And so working, she just kind of worked with her husband and her law clerk. And then I guess they were trying to figure out the order in which they'd consider these petitions at conference. And she had them all written down nice and neat in her notebook. And apparently they guessed wrong. Uh, and so she was complaining that she was flipping back and forth in her notebook, trying to keep up with the pace. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th those were, I think, I think it's fair to say those were some, some tough first days for the justice. But it turns out now apparently there's a manual for new justices. <laughs> Justice Ginsburg in a, a public appearance that I remember watching at the time she said she got it from Justice White and then she had her clerks updated and she gave it to Justices Sotomayor and Kagan. I think Justice O'Connor was also there and said something along the lines of, wait, wait, there was a manual. I didn't get yes. a manual. Yes, right. She, she said, I, I didn't know there was a manual. I never got one. So it's, it's good to know that they've they've changed that practice. It seems like everybody's getting a little bit of a hand up these days. And then I, I guess, you know, once you're on the bench, uh, things don't always go smoothly there either. There's an adjustment period for the lawyers. Yes. And, and we get this with a story from Justice O'Connor's first day on the bench, and it's a little bit of a heartbreaker. So, I mean, again, to kind of set the scene, going back to our earlier conversation, so the confirmation hearings were really something of a spectacle for Justice O'Connor because they were the first to be broadcast live on television in their entirety, right? So lots of people all over the country were tuning in, and then that attention carried over to her first day. So we actually get Justice O'Connor's viewpoint of all this because she kept a diary and she said, speaking of her first day, I know the press is waiting. They're all poised to hear me. Right. So she's thinking, okay, what is my first question going to be like? When am I going to get a word in? 
So that happened in a case, this was October 5th from 1981. And it was a case called Watt versus Energy Action Education Foundation. So Justice O'Connor waits until respondents up and she breaks in and she says to the attorney, Mr. Szilard, may I ask you? And immediately gets cut off. Intended. In other words, the prince may, may just finish your thought. And the extraordinary part again is that we have Justice O'Connor's thoughts on this. So in her diary, she she writes, he is loud and harsh. And he says he wants to finish what he's saying. I feel put down, right? Really kind of heartbreaking words to, to hear, to think about what that experience was like for her. And you know, without trying to read too much into it, in one of the other cases that morning, she still feels pretty tentative. Uh, she actually says this is in Ralston v. Robinson, again, a case argued later that morning. Uh, Mr. Strauss, may I ask you a question? Right? She's like asking permission of the attorneys to break in. So again, it's a little bit of a poignant story, not quite as funny as Earl Warren stumbling onto the bench, but good to remember, of course, you know, justices are people too, and you know, the first days are not always so easy. Another story that I read about Justice O'Connor's early times, you know, the junior justice, as some of our listeners may know, has an extra set of duties yes. at the conference. The junior justice answers the door and takes notes and was supposed to get the coffee, but I guess the the other justices a little bit worried about the optics of asking the first female justice to get their coffees, got got their own coffees so that she didn't have to. Yes, I think she even said like no no one dared to ask me that, um, and it really is remarkable that we get these thoughts from her, right? So, you know, she says very candidly like it's a little hard to get used to the title of justice. We also get some thoughts from her about what it's like to join these eight other justices. So she said, you know, a few of the other justices seemed genuinely glad to have me there. She mentions Justices Brennan, Powell, Stevens. And then she says with Bill R, it's a little bit harder to tell. Of course, she's referring to then Justice Rehnquist who had been not only just a good friend in law school but had actually uh, proposed to Justice O'Connor. So they had this personal relationship. And I think it felt a little bit awkward when she joined the court just for a little bit. The junior justice also serves on the cafeteria committee. So yes. we got frozen yogurt from Justice Kagan. We got pizza from Justice Kavanaugh. And when, when the reporters came back to the building last fall, after not having been there for over a year, the cafeteria had been renovated and there was a Starbucks. I heard. Justice Barrett has said that that apparently all happened before she actually joined the court, or at least the plans for the Starbucks had been in the works before she joined the court. So I think she should have just taken credit for the yeah. Starbucks. It was <laughs> but, very, very noble of her, right? Not, not to claim credit. Yeah. Who, who knows what'll be next? Maybe there'll be smoothies or something. We don't know. Chomba juice. That, that's what the court yeah, means, I think. I like that. And apparently even Justice William Brennan, who went on to become the, the liberal lion of the bench before he retired, had some nervousness before he joined the court. Oh, absolutely. He had this great line. He said that coming onto the court was like being a mule entered into the Kentucky Derby, right? That that's how out of place he felt, but that he said, hopefully he would benefit from the association. Gotta love that. Indeed, indeed. Well, Marin Levy, thank you so much for joining us. We know we need another milestone so we can have you back again to, to hear more Supreme Court history. This was such a treat. Thank you. That's another episode of SCOTUS Talk. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to our production team. 
Katie Barlow, Elena Erskine, Angie Goh, and James Ramoser. <laughs>